Hello, I'm Dave Dino. Welcome to The Living Word with John Carter, biblical archaeologist and evangelist. John, in our programs of the past, we have covered a wide range of topics. Today, we're getting to a topic that I have been very, very eager to discuss with you, and that is who Jesus really is. Now, a moment ago, we alluded to C.S. Lewis's comment, and I think it's a very telling comment. Either you believe that Jesus is who he said he is, God come in the flesh, or you believe that he is either a, a liar and a madman, and there is no in-between. And yet the world, the world, by and large, wants to live in that somewhere in-between area. Today, we're going to talk about who Jesus really is, and that's where we want to begin, the historical Jesus. Did Jesus really exist? Absolutely. Uh, there's overwhelming historical evidence that Jesus was a real person. Mm -hmm. Dave, when you ask the question, who was he? Was he, a, was he the God-man, God incarnate, or was he a, a madman? Mm -hmm. Well, if he was a madman, it's, it's an amazing situation that a madman could have produced such marvelous teachings. Mm -hmm that have done such a tremendous amount of good, that have changed the course of the world. You know, as we think of the history of the world and we use that term madman, mm. there are historical figures that come to mind. And whenever we look at them, Hitler, Stalin, yes. Yes. just a couple in modern times, mm -hmm. we don't see the fruits of their lives in the same arena as we do the fruits of the life of Christ. No, there's no comparison. Uh, even if you take uh, so-called great men, and there have been some great men like Winston Churchill, mm -hmm. the man of this, mm -hmm. the last century, some of the great presidents like uh, Abraham Lincoln. But when you look at Jesus, as Time Magazine said at the turn of the new millennium, mm -hmm. it had Jesus on the front page, mm -hmm. you know, on the front cover. And it said, he is the greatest person in the history of the human race. Now, if he was not who he said he was, he said he was God. Well, if he wasn't God, then let's not be patronizing to him and say, well, he, um, you know, he made a few mistakes there. He goofed up a bit on this divinity business, but he's really a very nice person. We put people in lunatic asylums when they go around saying that they're Napoleon mm. or the President of the United States. You know, you, you, you and I mm -hmm. have met some crazy people like this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, you know, we dismiss them as being just loonies. So a person who makes a claim which is, is extraordinary is either the person that he claims to be or else he is psychologically deluded, and we call such a person a lunatic or a mad person. Now, Jesus is not the person that he said he was. If he is not God in the flesh, then he is a crazy, and we should not have anything to do with him. But then we have the enormous problem, how could a man who was crazy have preached the Sermon on the Mount? How could this man who is crazy have given us such 
marvelous teachings that when you read these teachings, your life is changed and benefited in every way. Well, we're going to deal with what people have to say about Jesus as we go through this program. Yes. Historical facts. What historical facts do we have as to the reality of Jesus, the existence of Jesus? We have some secular historians, but I, I don't want to refer so much to them. There is a statement which is uh, in the books by Josephus. Some people question it, but others say those statements are authentic, where Josephus, the Jewish historian, actually describes Jesus. But laying that aside, we have the record of a number of independent people, a large number, and they were the people who coincidentally wrote the books of the New Testament. Now, when we think of the New Testament, we say, well, you know, you can't really go by the writings of the New Testament. I say, why not? Because the Bible has been, has been demonstrated, Dave, as being an absolutely authentic historical document. No self-respecting biblical archaeologist laughs at the Bible. Only a very ignorant person derides the Bible. The Bible is an historical manuscript. When you come to the New Testament, you have Matthew, you have Mark, you have Luke, who was uh, a highly esteemed doctor. You have John, who wrote the greatest book in the history of the human race. They say the gospel according to John is the greatest masterpiece that the human mind has, has ever conceived or realized. So you have these, these different people and they wrote down their eyewitness accounts. We have more evidence for the, for the historicity and the reliability of the Gospels than we have for any other books in the history of the world. If we're going to dispute the historicity of Jesus, we better dispute the historicity of Abraham Lincoln and Caesar Augustus and Napoleon Bonaparte and Alexander the Great, and we can go on because the evidence that we have, the manuscript evidence and the historical evidence we have for the authenticity of the historical books called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is better and more extensive than we have for any other manuscripts from the ancient world. John, I'm going to challenge you with Good. maybe one of the most difficult questions in our talk today, and yes. that is, if Jesus hmm. is such a monumental figure hmm. on the face of history, yes. why isn't there more proof of his existence? Dave, we have incredible proof. The Gospels. This is incredible proof. The Gospels are in the Bible because they have been demonstrated as reliable. We have more proof for Jesus than we have for Caesar Augustus. More proof for Jesus than we have for Herod the Great. Bless your heart, we've only got a little bit of evidence for Herod the Great. <laughs> only a little bit of evidence for Pontius Pilate. Mm. No atheist, no cynic, no skeptic would, would doubt that. We've got evidence for the kings of the Old Testament, Hezekiah and all of these famous characters, but far less evidence for them than we have for, for Jesus. Dave, 
the Gospels were written by a group of people who were so convinced concerning the, the powerfulness and the truthfulness of their case that they almost all gave their lives for the chorus. You don't give your, your life for something that you think is just a bunch of lies. But these people were so convinced concerning the, the reliability of the things that they saw, they were eyewitness accounts. Now, Dave, if you go into a court, a court accepts a reliable eyewitness. That's what our judicial system is based upon. It is based upon the authenticity of a witness's testimony. Isn't this true? Mm -hmm. And so when an, when an eyewitness is, is cross-questioned by the attorneys, it is done so not to do away with the concept of having an eyewitness, but it is to discover whether he is genuine or not. And so he's asked all these difficult questions mm -hmm. to see if he's, mm -hmm. he's genuine. The people who wrote the New Testament writings, they were eyewitnesses of those events. And they wrote down those eyewitness events. They wrote them down with their own, own hands, with their own fingers. And then these, these books were copied. And around the world, from the Middle East, from Egypt, and then as it spread out into other parts of the world, there are literally thousands of, of manuscripts or portions of the manuscripts the Bible has a greater, a greater evidence of reliability than any other manuscript in the history of the human race. John, having talked about the reality of Jesus, yes. let's talk about the divinity of Jesus. Yes. Did he himself ever claim to be God? Yes, indeed. Dave, let me tell you something else because I love this subject, because I love Jesus. Time magazine is not exactly a conservative evangelical publication. <laughs> but when Time magazine does a tremendous amount of research, and Time magazine researches the life of Jesus and says, he is historical, he did these acts, he did all of these marvelous things, and he has changed the world like no other person in, in the history of the human race from the years zero until now. There's been no person like him. A myth does not change the course of history. A myth does not change lives. A myth does not make the drunkard sober. A myth does not give a drug addict power to throw away the drugs. A myth does not give a person a change of life and turn him into a worthwhile child of God. But Jesus does. Sometime back there was a, a famous atheist in Hyde Park and he was listening to a Christian talking about why he believes. And there was a poor, simple man standing down the front. He was a new convert to the Christian faith. Mm -hmm. And uh, this atheist stood there and heckled the speaker. He said, how do you know? You, there's no proof for any of this. Just sounding off. But he couldn't get anywhere with the speaker. So he turned to this poor, simple, new Christian. He said, what do you know? The man said, I don't know much at all. He said, what do you know about the Bible? He said, 
I don't know much about the Bible at all. He said, I don't know much about it. What do you really know about Jesus and his historicity? What do you know about the, the synoptic problem in the New Testament? Mm. What you, he said, oh, what? <laughs> he said, I know nothing. He said, well, what do you know? He said, sir, I know very little, but I know one thing. That there was a time not very long ago when I came home when my wife would dread my coming and my children would hide because I'd come home drunk, because I'd spent all the money on alcohol, on that demon. There was a time when I couldn't pay my bills and I had a fearful temper and my family were afraid of me. But he said, I found Jesus and Jesus came into my life and he said, my wife waits for me when I come home and my children run to the front gate and they throw their arms around me and they call me daddy. He said, there's a lot of things I don't know. But he said, I do know one thing. Jesus changed my life. John, in the, in the scriptures, yes. you've said that Jesus has claimed, yes. has made the claim to be God. Can I'm you fine. give us some I'm specific I'm finding instances? The I'm finding the text. Okay. <laughs> I'm getting underway. I just took a while to get off that other point, but I'm getting un underway. Let me read you a whole passage here in John chapter 8. Mm. Uh, it's, it's, um, it's a great passage. It mm -hmm. says here at the top, the claims of Jesus about himself. Mm. Now, just let's remember this scenario, you know, good man or God man. Well, if, you know, you, you can't really say that. If he's a good man, well, that's different to saying he's a God man. And uh, so if he's not the God man, he's not a good man at all. He's a big fraud. Mm -hmm. And there are people who say that today. Mm -hmm. They say he's a big fraud. So let me read you from this Jewish fisherman whose name was John, who wrote the greatest book in the history of the world with the most profound thoughts. John chapter 8, the Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon possessed? And so, you know, uh, Jesus has always had his detractors and the religious leaders here said that Jesus was a Samaritan. That was like a, mm. that was an insult because the, the Jewish leaders there sort of didn't like the Samaritans. They thought they were a pretty bad breed of people. I believe that their term was that they thought of Samaritans as being, quote, half-breeds. Oh, yes, yeah, like yeah. dogs. Yeah. They said, you know, we know what your problem is. You're just a Samaritan mm. or you've got a demon. So here they're accusing Jesus, the greatest benefactor in the history of the human race, as having a demon, hmm. almost being like those evil people who blew up the trade center in New York City. They're saying, you're, you're a bad man. You've you got bad blood and you're full, full of the devil. Right. I'm not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. I tell you the truth, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. What a mouthful. You imagine if you were interviewing me today, and, and this poor sinner were to say to you, now Dave, if you follow the words of John Carter, you're not going to see death. Hmm. I mean, you would say, Hey, he's, he's, 
he's gone up yeah. here. Yeah, I would challenge you at that point, and I would say, wait a minute, how can you say such a thing? And But you would also, I think, question my mental mm -hmm. abilities, mm -hmm. wouldn't you? You'd yes. say, you know, he, he's been standing out in the sun for too long without a hat on. Something happened to his brain. There have been cult leaders who have claimed that. Yes, indeed. Yes. We've had them, you know, in, in America and in Southern California. There was a man by the name of Jones, wasn't there? Yes, there was. Mm -hmm. I tell you the truth, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Well, here's an amazing statement. If, you've, if you keep my word, you're not going to see death. At this, the Jews exclaimed, now we know that you are demon-possessed. Well, you know, they were, they were at least being logical. If they didn't accept what he said, they were saying that he was mad. Mm -hmm. So they were going, going to be logical. Mm -hmm. So when we deal with Jesus, we've got to either say, you're God, or else you're, you're a crazy person. Mm -hmm. Now, the Jews would not accept his divinity. And so they said that he was a mad person and he was possessed with a devil. Mm -hmm. Now, if I read on, it says, well, they said, Abraham died and so did the prophets. Yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Mm -hmm. Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him. You have seen Abraham. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am. Before Abraham was born, not I was. Before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Now, Dave, if you go back to the Pentateuch, back to the book of Exodus, you read there the story of Moses and how Moses was out in the, in the wilderness. And God came and talked to him and said, I want you to go down to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Mm -hmm. Now, Moses this great prince of the land of Egypt, this Hebrew, he said, if I go down there, I, what am I going to say? Well, he said, God said, you need to go and talk to the elders, the leaders of the people, and go and say, I've appeared to you. And Moses said, well, they're going to say, what is his name? This person who's appeared to you. He said, you're going to say, the Lord. Then it uses what is called the tetragrammaton, mm -hmm. the four words in English, Y-H-W-H. -H. Translated rather somewhat poorly, I would say, by the word Jehovah. In many Bibles, just translated by the word Lord, big 
letters, capitals. Mm -hmm. But the word which we are almost loath to say are the words can be pronounced, some would think, Yahweh. Mm. Yahweh. I am the Lord, the self-existent, almighty, eternal God who made the cosmos. This, this, this incomprehensible being. And then Yahweh said, tell the children of this, I am that I am. Tell them, I am has sent you. The word Yahweh, many scholars believe, is derived from the expression, I am. I am. Yahweh is the, are the expressions that refer to the self-existent, omnipotent, eternal, creator God who made a billion, trillion universes, a God without beginning and without end, incomprehensible to these peanut brains. And then Jesus said, they said, who are you? Tell us. He said, if you believe my words, you'll never taste death. They said, who do you think you are? He says, before Abraham was born, I am. So the Jews understood yes. very clearly yes. what he was saying about himself. And the proof of that is that they picked up stones. Mm -hmm. Picked up stones. What was the, what was the custom? Why? What, what, what was for the blasphemy. reason for the stones? Blasphemy. They said, this man is a blasphemer. So they were going to pick up the stones and stone him to, to death. Mm. But because he was God, they couldn't stone him to death. He slipped away and just walked through their midst and he was gone. Jesus claimed to be the self-existent, eternal, almighty God. Any man who makes such a claim today, uh, we treat as being madmen. We would lock them up if we had the facilities, but we wouldn't treat them seriously. Dave, listen to this. I had a man come into my church. As you know, I'm a pastor. <laughs> I have a church here in Arcadia. 100 West Duarte Road, Arcadia. In my church once, a man came to me and uh, he stayed behind after church and he said, Pastor Carter, I've been listening to you on the radio. Oh, I said, thank you. I hope you enjoy the program. He said, yes, I was very interested in what you said about the return of Elijah. Hmm. Oh, I said, I hope you enjoyed the meeting. He said, yes. He said, I am Elijah. Ah. I said, come again. He said, I am Elijah. He said, the Bible predicted that Elijah would come. Now, this man did not give me the evidence or the appearance of being a, a weirdo. He was nicely dressed, had a nice suit on. In fact, when he came through the doors of my church, I thought to myself, well, what a fine looking Christian gentleman. Mm -hmm. He said to me, I am Elijah. I said, you mean you've got the spirit? No, no, no. He said, I am Elijah. He said, I want to ask you some questions. I said, hold on for a minute. If you're Elijah, 
I ought to be asking you the questions. You shouldn't be asking me any questions. He continued to come to my church for weeks and months and then moved away to another mm. part of America where he's going to bless them with his special revelation. <laughs> but we know, we know, of course, that he is a sick man. Now, if Jesus made these claims, Jesus didn't say that he was Elijah. He didn't say he was a prophet. He said that he was Almighty God. If he wasn't Almighty God, don't believe him. Don't trust him. Don't read his word because he's a deluded, he's a deluded madman. And yet so many, so many will say, oh, I don't believe that Jesus is really God, but you know, he really was a good teacher and he had a lot of mm. good things to say and, and, and I will, I'll live my life by the things he said, the principles that he, that he put forth. I think that the whole area of him claiming to be God, that's, mm. that's probably something that somebody made up about him. Well, well Gandhi said that, you know. Gandhi said, uh, I believe that Jesus, the leader of the Indians, you know, he, mm -hmm. Gandhi said, I believe that Jesus was a great person. He said, I, I read his words and I read everything that he says and I think he's a great person. But he says, the idea about Jesus being God, he said, I don't, can't, don't believe this. Mm -hmm. And the great stumbling block for, for Gandhi was the death of Jesus. He said, Christians say that, that Jesus took the sin of the world upon his shoulders and carried the sin to the cross and made an atonement for our sins. He said, I cannot believe in this Christian biblical idea of the atonement. And so like many people, Gandhi wanted him to be a good man, but didn't want him to be the God man. Mm -hmm. But Jesus claimed to be the God man. Let me give you another example. Mm -hmm. After Jesus had died and been raised from the dead, he met with his disciples. Mm -hmm. But as you and I know, Thomas wasn't there. So Jesus said, well, I want to see Thomas. And Thomas came sometime later. And Thomas had said, unless I can actually feel the, the wounds mm -hmm. in the hands mm -hmm. and put my hand into his side where the spear went, he said, I'm not going to believe. Thomas was the sort of person who said, I won't believe a thing unless I have complete proof, complete proof. And so Jesus came to him and Jesus said, now Thomas, Look at these hands of mine. Give me your hand, Thomas. Feel this. Now, put your hand in my side, Thomas. Feel the scar there. Mm. And then Thomas fell down before him and said, My Lord and my God. And Jesus accepted that worship. Here is a man kneeling before him. Could you imagine your doing that? My doing that? Could you imagine our allowing some person to come in and kneel down before us mm -hmm. and say, you are my Lord and my God? We but Jesus, them, no, no, no. Get we, up, get we, up. Well, we know it would be, be absolute blasphemy. Mm -hmm. But Jesus accepted worship. And he accepted worship because he was worthy of worship. We do not worship angels. We do not worship people. We do not worship creatures. We worship the Creator. John, so often as Christians, we are accused of having blind faith. Mm -hmm. And that is thrown out mm -hmm. in a very derisive way. Isn't it amazing that God doesn't necessarily demand from us blind faith? God is willing to meet us 
in our area of need in our life, at our area of question in our life, even at our area of skepticism in our life. Yeah, absolutely. I believe that God is a, a loving Father in heaven, that He, if we, if God were here today in the person of Jesus, we'd like Him very much. Mm. Uh, Jesus said, do you want to know what the Father is like? Look at me. Mm. What was Jesus like? Jesus was about the nicest person. In the, mm. Well, no, not about the nicest. He was the nicest. He was the best. He was the kindest. That's why the common people loved him. The only reason the Pharisees didn't like him was that he threatened their power base because they were just a bunch of politicians masquerading as theologians. But Jesus was just the kindest and the nicest and the best person who ever lived. And Jesus was able to take shattered lives and make them over again. Wherever he, he went, he touched people. He actually physically laid his hands upon them. And somebody said, it was heaven to be in his presence. And so while he claimed to be God, and he was, he was more than God. He was a real man. Let's talk about that for a moment. We've talked about the divinity of Jesus. But what about the humanity? Being a real man. He was as real as Dave Dino, as real as John Carter, more real. I want to read, Dave. I'm hearing the Gospel of John now. The Gospel of John talks more about Jesus and his divinity than just about anywhere else in the Bible. Mm. Now, these words are profound words. They're just almost too hard to take in, and we need the help of the Spirit of God to take these words in. But, Dave, your point before is so relevant. When people say, you know, he's a good guy and all the rest of it, Hey, hey, don't patronize him. Don't, don't talk like this. This is completely logical stuff. You need to be logical. And God does not demand, as you were alluding before, a blind faith. Mm -hmm. God is reasonable. He's a loving Father. God gives us evidence upon which we can base our faith. If a person has blind faith, it's a very dangerous faith. Aye. Well, you can have a blind faith in Buddha doesn't make Buddha God. You can have a blind faith in Nostradamus. doesn't make Nostradamus a truthful prophet. We do not want a blind faith. We want, we want an intelligent faith. It is, it seems to me, blind faith that causes a person to fly an airplane into a building. That's a fanatical faith. It's not uh -huh. God's faith. Uh, God says in the book of Isaiah, come, let us reason together. Mm -hmm. Though your sins be as scarlet. God says, you think the God of the universe says, come and sit down, let's do a little talking. Let's mm -hmm. do some reasoning. Mm -hmm. Reason with God? Goodness, what a good God he it's is. Amazing. And then you read in the Gospels, it says, these things are written down. I've told you all of these stories. I've told you all of this evidence so that you might believe in Jesus. The Bible contains evidence so we can believe mm -hmm. in Jesus. So today, Dave, we are not advocating a blind, 
superstitious faith. We meet people who say, well, I belong to such and such a church because um, I just have faith in that. Mm. I belong to such and such an organization because I have this deep feeling inside and because my parents and I just have this faith. And they seem to think that there is virtue in faith. There is no virtue in, in faith per se. There is only virtue in the, in the being to which the faith is directed. Scripture itself challenges us as believers mm. to always be ready to give a reason yes. for the faith yes. that is in us. Yes. That's not blind faith. No, it's not blind faith. So blind faith can lead you down the path of religious bigotry, can lead you into blind deception. Mm. The communists had blind faith in Stalin. Mm. The Germans had blind faith in Hitler. Mm -hmm. So a blind faith is dangerous. It is unbiblical. It is unreasonable. But we are dealing today with a God who is a very reasonable God who doesn't expect us to check our brains in at the door whenever we go to church. John, let's meet Jesus, as they say in the sporting events, mm -hmm. up close and personal. What was he like as a person? Let me read you this text about mm -hmm. in John chapter 1. John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. He made it all. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Dave, think of these words. In the beginning was the Word. The Bible says the Word became flesh. So this is talking about Jesus. He is God's thought made audible. Mm -hmm. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. He was with the Father. And it says the Word was God. It doesn't mean He was the same person as the Father, but He partook of exactly the same nature and the same essence. Mm -hmm. He belonged to a very unique family, the family of God. He was, he was God. We are human beings. We don't belong to, we are children of God, but we are not divine. He was divine. And then it says, because of his incomprehensible love for the human race and because the human race had made such a mess of things and gone astray, he said, I want to come down and live among them. And it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He was born as a baby. He was truly a, a human baby, but he was much more. And when Mary took that little baby in her arms and, and nursed the baby, and rocked the baby to sleep, wonder of wonders, she was holding in her arms the incarnate God. The song says, Mary, did you know, mm. did you know that one day this baby Mm. would be the savior of mankind. Mm. And somebody else said that she kissed the face of God. Mm -hmm. When she kissed mm -hmm. this little baby and said, isn't he beautiful? <sighs> she was kissing 
God in the flesh. So he was God, the creator of the universe, the creator of the cosmos, the creator of matter and time and energy, the one who was there a trillion, trillion years ago. Scientists talk today about the Big Bang as when the cosmos came into existence. Mm -hmm. They say it happened 13 or 14 billion years ago. He was there long before 13 or 14 billion years ago. And the Bible says that because the world went astray, he said, I'm going to go down to seek and to save that which was lost. So as a man. As a man. Getting to know him. Mm -hmm. Again, mm. what he was like. Yes. What do we know about him? What, what characteristics do we know about Jesus? I like to say to young people, Dave, if you had lived when he had been here in the flesh, you would have loved him. You mm. would have been his disciples. Mm. You wouldn't have laughed at him, laughed at the church. You would have been his disciple. On one occasion, the Bible tells about a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. Mm. The Pharisees caught her. They were professional religious snoops. They were probably, some of their number had been sleeping with her, so they knew how to catch her, so they caught this woman. They bring this woman half-clothed into his presence. They say, now, Lord, Master, Moses in the law said that such people should be stoned. What do you say? If he says stone her, then the Romans step in and say, you're taking our responsibility. Mm -hmm. You're becoming a Roman king. Therefore, this is treason. And if he says, no, we don't stone her, then they say, well, then you don't have any, dis any, any regard for the teachings mm -hmm. of the Bible. Therefore, you're not the person that you say you are. So Jesus stoops down, writes in the sand. Mm. She's standing there trembling. Jesus is riding away. The Pharisees looking over his shoulder. He's riding down. Maybe the days, mm. the, the moments, the motels <laughs> where they had been committing adultery themselves mm -hmm. and one by one like animals with their tails between their legs they just steal away they slink away and they're all gone and Jesus stands up and he says now woman where are your accusers they're gone has no man accused you neither do I accuse you, go and sin no more. Mm. He won her heart for eternity. There were occasions when little children came to him and the disciples being rather stuffy, clergymen, they said, get these kids out of here, they're going to make a mess on the carpet. Jesus said, let these little children come unto me and forbid them not for such is the kingdom of heaven. He mm. took them in his arms and blessed them. When Peter denied him, Denied him with cursing and swearing. The Bible says as he was cursing and swearing and denying him. The Bible says he didn't rail at him. At him. He turned and he looked at him. Just looked at him. The Bible says Peter went out and broke his heart. Mm. And then on the resurrection morning, Peter was, was hiding. He was too ashamed to come and see the Lord. And Jesus said, go and tell my disciples and tell Peter to come and meet me. My disciples and Peter, 
Well, if I'm Peter, I'm trembling. I'm trembling at this point. When I hear the message after I have denied Jesus yeah. that he wants to see me. Yeah. But he wants to see him to let him know that there's mercy and there's forgiveness. Right. That he hasn't been kicked out of the family, that he'd never been kicked out of the family, hmm. that he'd stumbled. Yes, he denied the Lord with cursing and, and, and swearing, but there was mercy and grace. And then he let him through, you know, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Mm -hmm. Peter, do you love me? Then he says, you know, the day is coming, Peter, when they're going to take you. They're going, somebody else is going to dress you, going to carry you away, going to put you on a cross. Mm. And Peter said, yeah, that's all right. Peter went to the cross later on, crucified upside down, because Peter had never met a person like Jesus. We've talked about the divinity of Christ. Mm. We've talked about the humanity. What about sin? If Jesus was a man, all men sin. Did Jesus sin? All men sin, every man. And there are no exceptions, except one exception. Jesus said to the people who accused him, who of you accuses me of sin? Mm. They couldn't find anything they could accuse him of. Mm. The beloved disciple John said in his book, 1 John, he came to take away sin, and in him is no sin. The writer of the book of Hebrews says he is holy, harmless, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, I think it's Hebrews 2, or is it? No, Hebrews 4. It says, somewhere there anyhow, that he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. He was tempted. Yes, he was. Real temptation. How did he resist sin? He resisted sin by relying upon his Father, by relying upon God. Jesus was filled with the Word of God. The Bible tells us that often Jesus would get up early in the morning, long before day, and go out into a, a desolate place, and there he would pray. And so, while he was not a sinner, he drew his strength from his connection with God. I had a, a rather annoying experience last Sunday. I planted a big pine tree, beautiful pine tree in my yard about nine years ago. Mm -hmm. And it's grown up about 60 feet high. It's got big. Now, I've got all this ivy in lots of my yard, at least in the gardens. You know this ivy that mm -hmm. grows in California. Mm -hmm. Grows anywhere if you give it water. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, it's taken over my garden. Just about, it's just about killed everything. And it's grown up this big tree. So, last Sunday, as the day, as the day was coming to a close, I said to myself, if I don't get rid of this, it's going to kill the tree. And so I went out and I, I got some type mm -hmm. of shears mm -hmm. and I found that the, the branches of the ivy, you know, when you see this stuff, they're tiny little things. Right. They're this round, this round. Really? And they're growing up right around the tree, wound up around the tree and they're hanging onto the tree. So I chop around to cut off the roots. Mm -hmm. 
and almost with glee I went out a day later to see how all the ivy would have wilted and died. <laughs> it's growing as good as ever. Hmm. And the reason is the ivy itself has attached itself to the tree mm -hmm. and it, it is drawing its sap from the tree. Mm -hmm. It is drawing its, its life from its connection to the tree. Now that's bad for my tree, but it's good for the ivy. Jesus was like the ivy. He had his roots down into the Father. Mm. He spent time with the Father. He read the Father's Word. He knew the Scriptures off by heart. He was filled with God's Word. He spent time, not spasmodically like most of us, but he spent time with the Father in prayer. And he became like a mighty vine. Nothing could shake him. John, do we have the same strength to resist temptation that Jesus had? I mean, after all, he was God. He was God and he was man. He was the the only one of his kind, as the Greeks would call him, the only begotten. Fully God, fully man. He was not half a God mm -hmm. and half a man. Mm -hmm. He was as much God as the almighty God who rules the universe. He partook of that nature and that essence. But he was also completely man. And as man, he overcame the power of Satan in the same way that we can overcome. Let me read to you the book of Hebrews. Though we must remember when he was tempted, the Bible does say he was without sin. Now let me read you a text here. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14 and onwards. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants for this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. But Dave, there's something that we must not forget. He is far more than an example. Jesus is far more than an example in righteousness and holiness of living. Jesus is a savior. If he's only an example, that would take us back to our original question. Mm -hmm. Was he really God? Yes. He or was. was he a liar and a madman? Was he something in between? No, he was both. He was man. He was fully man, and he was fully God, and he was what he claimed to be. But the greatest act of his whole existence was not the, the miracles and the raising of the dead, 
or the feeding of the 5,000. Those things were important, but there were other things that were, there was something else that was far more important. That was his death. Why was he crucified? Well, the, the apparent reason was because of the hatred of the Jewish leaders. He threatened the power structure. Hmm. You know, we, we've been talking about religious bigotry and how bad religion makes people do bad mm -hmm. things. Well, mm -hmm. those, those people didn't have very good religion. Their religion mm -hmm. led them to, to do acts of hatred. And they were so filled with pride that they passed him over to the Romans. They had a, a rigged jury and they found him guilty and put him on the cross. But Dave, when Jesus went to the cross... He didn't go there because of his sin. He went there because of our sin. Mm -hmm. In a way that is incomprehensible to my mind, I believe the mind of every person, the sin of the world was, was placed upon him. He bore the sin of the world. That is why he died in a relatively short period of, of nine hours. Mm -hmm. That is why he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is why he went, he tasted hell on the cross. He saw the, the darkness of separation from God. He felt all of the, all of the burden of sin. He felt also the burden of every disease. Hmm. He felt the loneliness of the atheist as he dies. He felt the defilement of the sexual pervert. He felt all of the degeneracy of the human race. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. So this was laid upon him. And the darkness was so, so black and the pain was so awful that he cried out, my God, my God, God, why have you forsaken me? He felt the separation. But he could promise the thief paradise mm. even though he felt the doom of the damned because by faith he took hold of the Father and he knew that he, he was paying for the sins of the human race. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Lord made him to be sin for us so that we can become the righteousness of God in him, so we can be forgiven. That's grace. It's mercy. We can never earn it. We're never saved by our own works because mm -hmm. none of our works are good. John, we just have a few moments left. Yes. And you've used terms like grace and mercy. Yes. A, wh a while ago, you used the term atonement. Yes. Would you give us a definition? The word atonement, as we use it loosely, means at one moment. It means at one moment. People coming at one moment. Mm -hmm. People coming together. The atonement describes the work of God in Christ in bringing an alienated, rebellious human race back to the bosom of the Father. On the cross, Jesus completed a full sacrificial atonement. Mm -hmm. He paid with his own blood. Jesus was not a martyr. No, no, no. His death was not like your death or my death will be. His death was, was a sacrifice. And on the cross, 
as God and as man, he brought the human race back to the Father. He paid the price. He paid the price of rebellion. He made atonement for our sins with his own blood. So the Bible says, with his stripes we are healed. And if we truly believe in him and come to him and trust in him, we're going to be with him in paradise. Now we've talked about Jesus in the historical sense. Yes. But what about today? Can he help me with my problems today? He sure can because he's alive. He died, but he was raised from the dead. There's a ton of historical evidence He's alive, he's alive, he's alive. Mm. Because he's alive, he's in heaven at the right hand of God the Father Almighty where he intercedes for us. The Bible says he is able to save them to the uttermost to come unto God through him because he ever lives to make intercession for them. I want to say to the people who are listening and watching today, Dave, he can help the drug addict. He can help the sex pervert. He can help the person who is struggling with sin. He can help people in all other areas of difficulty. He can help people who are depressed. He can show us that there's light in darkness. He can help those who are grieving the loss of loved ones because he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And if you believe in me, you're going to live one day. There is no area of our humanity where he cannot come and so change our lives that things are immeasurably improved. He is the greatest benefactor of the human race. He is the Son of God and the Son of Man, the Savior of the world and our coming King. John, thank you so much for being with us and for helping us to know Jesus. Thank you.